Rajiv asked if I would read the passage of scripture that we're going to read this morning before his message, which is Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. And Ed will put the verses up on the board for us on the screen. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over those three governors of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these three, then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So the governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdoms and the administrators and the satraps, the counselors and the advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room with the windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since his early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any God or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, the thing is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, for to the degree that you have signed, but his petition three times, but makes his petition three times a day. May God bless the reading of his word. Very good morning to each and every one of you. Some of you may remember that the last time I spoke to you uh, was on Daniel in the University of Babylon. Uh, you may remember uh, how Daniel and his friends were all conditioned uh, in Babylon and how they were brought up. And I thought that I will pick another lesson from Daniel's story. And so uh, this one is popularly known as Daniel in the lion's den. So we'll look at a few lessons from here this morning. Now, Daniel, in chapter 1, the university youth, he did not change over 
the entire course of his life, he remained the same. Now, in chapter 6 and verse 3, we see there that it says that Daniel had an excellent spirit. Now, earlier in his life, uh, you can see this in chapter 5 and verse 12, it was the incident where Belshazzar's last night on earth. And the queen, she remarked in Daniel 5.12 that Daniel had an excellent spirit. Daniel, when he was young, he had an excellent spirit. And now, in the latter part of his life, he had the same spirit. There was no changing him. The integrity that burned so fiercely when he was a teenager had not been dimmed. His convictions had not been diluted. His holiness had not been tainted. You see, the queen said that he had an excellent spirit and this excellent spirit still featured in his old age. So, I would like to salute his consistency, his steady dependability of a man uh, who, like the Apostle Paul, uh, who said in Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, that he wanted to finish his course with joy. That's what the Apostle Paul wanted to do. So let us also, like the Apostle Paul, like Daniel, on the last lap of our life, let us make sure that we avoid disaster. Many people start off well, and then halfway through life or towards the end of life, they fall down. But this man of God, right until the end, he had an excellent spirit. Let us also try to emulate him. Then I want you to notice next that uh, Daniel was promoted. He became a governor. And when he became a governor, it provoked jealousy with his government colleagues. Now, we all know that jealousy is everywhere. In the Song of Solomons, we are told that jealousy is as cruel as the grave. And Proverbs tells us that envy is as rottenness of the bones. So you see that there was great resentment among his government colleagues when he got promoted. And so, what did they do? They went to great lengths to damage their rival. So they searched, uh, look at verse 4, they sought to find some reason of how they could damage uh, Daniel. The same bitterness consumed Joseph's brothers. You remember that? The same uh, thought also was in Haman. All of these people were consumed with jealousy. Now, Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 2 and verse 1 that we must lay aside all envy. Let us make sure that just like Daniel's colleagues, we are not consumed by jealousy. It's there. And let us try and avoid it. So, what did they do? They initiated what in modern language we called a witch hunt. 
they wanted to investigate Daniel and to find out if there was any fault that could be found in him. And so what did they do? They went into his financial dealings. They would have gone in to see whether there was any dishonesty, whether in his administration there was any maladministration. Would anybody come out of the woodwork and complain that Daniel had done this or Daniel had said this? What about his expenses claims? What about his tax return? They would have gone through it all with a fine tooth comb, but they unearthed nothing. You see there in verse 4, it says that they could find no fault in this man. You see, this man of God was transparent and honest to the nth degree. There was not a single fault. So, you know, when these uh, governors would have and politicians would have searched, they would have left no stone unturned. They would have spoken to his colleagues. They would have checked the paperwork. They could find nothing wrong with this man. Let us also make sure that we are like Daniel. He was not crooked. Neither was he careless. In this day and age, where so many indiscretions come to light, where people are treating things so flippantly, a reputation like Daniel had is something that we should all covet. Let us make sure that we also seek to have a reputation like Daniel. Next, I want you to notice this. In verse 5, they decide that let us try and discredit his religious life. We cannot find anything wrong with this man. There is no fault in him. So perhaps we can show that his commitment to the law of God, there is a problem. Let us search that. And so uh, they search whether there was uh, something wrong in Daniel between him and his commitment to God and his commitment to the state. And so they investigated that. And to facilitate this, they wove a huge web of lies. Now, take a look at this. In verse 7, they said, all the governors have consulted together. All the governors? Well, take a look at verse 3, or verse 2. And over these, there were three governors of whom Daniel was the first. So when they say all the governors were consulted, did they consult Daniel? No, because obviously he would never agree to this degree that you can't ask anything from God except Darius. So you see the lie there? They go to Darius and they tell him, all the governors have consulted. And then they give him this, spin this huge web of deceit and also flattery is involved. Notice that when they said a lie, they created a huge problem for Daniel. Now, um, in Ephesians chapter 4, and verse 25, it tells us this. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. Lying should never be 
a part of our life. Lying should be completely put away. Now, on a previous occasion that I spoke to you, I told you about the seven things that God hates. I wonder if any of you here, sometimes I ask you a question, and how many of you can tell me some of these seven items? Raise your hand up if you remember. Yes. Yes, correct. Yes. Yes, correct. Well, we'll have a quick look at it. It's Proverbs chapter 6 and verses 16 to 19. Proverbs chapter 6 and verses 16 to 19. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. And then verse 17, a proud look, two, a lying tongue, three, hands that shed innocent blood, four, the fourth thing that God hates, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, fifth, feet that be swift in running to mischief, the sixth thing God hates, a false witness that speaketh lies, and the seventh thing that God hates, he that soweth discord among brethren. Now, I notice that in these seven things, lying was actually mentioned twice. It said, a lying tongue, that was number two on the list, and then number six on the list, a false witness that speaketh lies. So, God absolutely hates lies. Let us make sure that that is not part of our life, just like these men were doing. In Psalms 32 and verse 2, it says, <clears throat> Blessed is the man in whose spirit there is no guile. Let us try to be a person, a man or a woman of God, in whose spirit there is no guile. Now, when these men went and told this terrible lie, the suggestion that they gave to the king, it pandered to the king's ego. Have a look at verse 9. The flattered monarch, he immediately signed up to the proposal. Why? Because, you know, he's obviously a proud man and only asked King Darius, you know, and he it had completely pandered to him. So, immediately... He accepted. So here's the lesson. Be suspicious of flattery. People will come to you and they will tell you things, but first they will coat it in sugar. When they flatter you, be careful because danger is round the corner. Darius was to only later find out that this flattery was going to lead to a very dangerous situation to one of his governors. <clears throat> a man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth a net for his feet. That's what Proverbs tells us. So Darius lived to regret his decision. And in Ecclesiastes 5.2, there is a verse that says this, Be not rash, let, thy, let not thy heart be hasty. If you make sudden, quick decisions without praying about it, without thinking about it, you can make a mistake. Darius, the moment they came and proposed this thing to him, within minutes he had signed up to it. 
make sure that you also don't make hasty decisions. Then, I would like to move on to verse 10. Now, despite this law that Darius signed up to, Daniel continued with his normal course of life. I would like you to notice. It was business as usual. He prayed and gave thanks just like he always did. Now, was he making a statement to embarrass the king? No. This is what he normally did. He prayed in a crisis because he always prayed during the normal course of life. You see, by contrast, we tend to allow our spiritual routine to be blown off course for very um, simple things like friends visiting our home or being away from home or perhaps an early start in the morning. We don't pray. But Daniel, he made sure that what he did always, he continued. Even when there was a crisis situation there, this did not change him. Consistency was Daniel's watchword. And let us also learn this important principle uh, uh, for our life. Now I want you to notice that in verse 10, prayer was the first resort for Daniel and not the last resort. You see, when he knew that the edict had been signed, the first thing he did was prayed. Now, Nehemiah, Bible tells us, he said, when he heard the bad news, immediately he prayed before the God of heaven. But David, on the other hand, when there was a famine in the land, it went on for three years, the Bible says, before he inquired of the Lord. Let us be like Nehemiah. Immediately the news came, he prayed. Let us not be like David. He waited three years to inquire of the Lord about the famine. In every circumstance of life, make sure that you pray. Let that be the first option, not the last option. Next, I want you to notice in verse 10, he went to his upper chamber, it tells us. Now, Peter also, uh, he used to use the upper chamber. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 9, you can see uh, Peter on the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. You see, the rooftop or the upper chamber is a picture of the believer in prayer rising above the commotion of the world and the storms of life. And this is what Daniel did. He went to the upper chamber and there he sought to pray with his God. And then next also I notice in verse 10, Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10, that the windows were open. The windows were open of his chamber. What does this tell me? This tells me that he was unashamed of his activity. He was unafraid of the king's degree. And to spiritualize, it showed me that there was nothing 
between him and God. The windows were open. He was in the upper room. Nothing there between him and his God. Now, you know, there are plenty of things that can hinder us in our prayer life when we pray. For example, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. It tells us that a husband's prayers are hindered if he has very little respect for his wife. God will not hear his prayers if he doesn't respect his wife. And then Psalm 66 verse 18 tells us that if we have iniquity in our heart, God's ears are closed. So make sure that you also have none of these uh, issues in your life. Keep the windows open, clear skies between you and God when you pray. Daniel kept the window open and so there was nothing between him and God and so God would answer his prayer. Next I want you to notice verse 10 again, Daniel chapter 6. So as soon as he heard that the writing was signed, he went and he prayed and then he went to his upper room. Then we saw that he opened his window and then next In verse 10, it tells us that he looked towards Jerusalem. Now, why did he do this? You see, Daniel was laying hold of scripture. There was a time when Solomon had anticipated circumstances like Daniel would be facing. uh, And he had promised that people would look towards Jerusalem When they prayed. In fact, we'll have a quick look at that. It's in 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 48. But before that, uh, I'll just point out to you that in 1 Kings chapter 8, this was the time when the temple uh, was being dedicated. And uh, in verse 22, Solomon stood up before the altar of the Lord And he started praying. And in this prayer, verse 48, Solomon says that, And so return unto thee with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies, which led them away captive, and pray unto thee towards their land, which thou gavest unto their fathers, the city which thou hast chosen. Which city? Well, Verse 1 of that, tell, of that chapter tells us that they were in Jerusalem. So, they would look towards the city of Jerusalem when they prayed. Now, Jonah, in Jonah chapter 2 and verse 4, we see that when Jonah was in the belly of the whale, what did he do? He looked again towards thy holy temple. Where was the holy temple? In Jerusalem, you see, even when he was in the fish, Jonah turned and faced in the direction of Jerusalem when he was praying. And Daniel, well, he knew his scripture as well. When he went to his upper chamber, he turned towards Jerusalem and he prayed, just like Solomon had said. And so here was a man of God who uh, his practice indicates that not, he was not a person who was just praying for the sake of it. 
He was a man who was full of the spirit. He knew all God's edicts, commandments. He knew the history of Israel, what had been promised before. They anchored their prayers in scripture, these men, and they laid claim to the blessing. So let us also, when we pray, let us make sure that we also are fully aware of how God wants us to pray. Then I want you to notice next, also in verse 10, the posture in which he prayed. Notice it says there that he kneeled upon his knees. He kneeled upon his knees. Abraham stood before the Lord. David, the Bible tells us, sat before the Lord. But the best example that we can take is of the Lord Jesus. How did he pray? Matthew chapter 26 and verse 39. Matthew 26 and verse 39. The Lord Jesus, when he prayed, he fell on his face and prayed. He fell on his face and prayed. And so Daniel, what did he do? He kneeled upon his knees. Now, kneeling is not a prerequisite for prayer. But it is indicative of the reverence that we should observe when we are praying to God. Even in Paul's own prayer life in the New Testament, I notice this in Acts chapter 20 and verse 36. When he prayed with the Ephesian elders, Paul kneeled down. So, brothers and sisters, even when uh, physical infirmity perhaps hampers us from bowing the knee, let the wonderful spirit of the bowed knee figure in our prayer life. If we were to do that, go that extra mile towards pleasing God, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? It's indicative of the reverence that we have for God. Next, I want you to notice that, also we are still in Daniel 6 and verse 10, that it was three times a day that he prays. Now, this teaches us the lesson, the importance of regular appointments with God before the throne of grace. In Psalm 55 and verse 17, this is what David said. He said, Evening, morning, and noon will I pray and cry aloud. That's how David prayed. And then, uh, how did Paul pray? 2 Timothy 1 verse 3, he says, Without ceasing, I have remembrance of thee in my prayers day and night. Paul was praying day and night. How is your prayer life, my brother and my sister? You see, Daniel, David, Paul, they teach us the example to avoid a haphazard, irregular prayer life. It happens to all of us at some point or another. Make sure that a commitment to set times of prayer is there in your life. This is, give, will give you, a, this is a major element in a well-disciplined spiritual life. Let us all try and observe this lesson. 
Then I want you to notice, also in verse 10, we are still in Daniel 6 and verse 10, another lesson from Daniel's experience is the need to blend prayer with thanksgiving. Although this was a major crisis that he was facing, notice it says he prayed and gave thanks before his God. When you are praying, whatever the trouble that you are facing in your life, whatever the major crisis may be, it could be financial, it could be medical, it may be work problems, it may be family problems. Whenever you pray to God, make sure that it is with thanksgiving in your heart. You see, in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, it tells us that prayer should always be with thanksgiving. When you make your request to God, make sure there is always thanks in your life. Then I want you to notice, uh, finally in verse 10 there, that the final thought on prayer was that his commitment to prayer was such that he did it as he did a four time. That means, obviously, this has been a habit in his life. It teaches us the importance of de- uh, uh, developing healthy spiritual habits. As he did a four time. Just because this is an emergency, he didn't pray. Because he always did it. We do that sometimes, isn't it? I do it. You know, when you're facing a major problem, immediately go to God in prayer. Sometimes I go more often than not when I'm facing a crisis. We all do it. But Daniel did it because he always did it. Let us also be like him. Then next, uh, we'll skip over the bit uh, that you know very well, the uh, bit where Daniel is in the lion's den. Uh, So you know that he was arrested, he was put in the lion's den, and then uh, he came out. God saved him. And then I want you to notice in verse 20 that it is told to us that uh, the God whom thou servest continually... Darius gave credit to Daniel for serving God continually. So here was an unbeliever, a man who was looking in from the outside into Daniel's life. And he said, the God whom you serve continually. Even he said it before in verse 16 as well. You see, his commitment to God did not impinge on his loyalty to Darius. Because he says in verse 22, notice this, Daniel says, Before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. What does this tell me? Daniel was serving God, but when he was serving his master here on earth, he served his master well. Before thee, O king, I have done no hurt. Now, we all have to go to jobs the drudgery of life. Tomorrow I will be back to work in the morning, just like many of you here. And sometimes it's a bit of a strain, isn't it? We all want to be taken out from the daily routine of life. And we face various problems. 
But you notice how Daniel was. Even though he served God, he did everything for God. There was not a fault in him. But also when he was serving his king, he did it well. Now in Colossians chapter 3 and verses 22 to 24, it illustrates Paul's teaching to servants about their daily toil with all the hardships that we are facing every day that we are actually serving the Lord Jesus. So, whatever the routine of your office, of your factory, or wherever it is that you are working, Scripture regards this as a necessary thing that you must do to labor, to be the breadwinner. And you should look to your work as you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. The secular work that you go to every day, is should be seen in your life as a spiritual exercise. And if you understand this, in the light of this, then you will do your work well. You will serve your master well. And you can be a witness to all those in your workplace also, the way they see you doing your job well. So Daniel, he was rescued from the lion's den. Why was that? Why was it that Daniel was rescued from the lion's den? Now, all of us face various crises, but he was rescued from his crisis. Why is that? Well, take a look at verse 23, the last six words in verse 23. Because he believed in his God. Because he believed in his God. If you want to be rescued from the troubles of life, believe in God. Believe in God and make sure that you observe all the commands that are given in Scripture. That is what believe in God entails. Mark chapter 11, verse 22. There it says, have faith in God. Now, I don't know what's in the heart of each of you here this morning. All of you may be in different stages of your faith in God. But I urge you, whatever it is that you are doing, there is a reason why Daniel was rescued from the lion's den. He believed in his God. His Christianity wasn't a half-hearted Christianity of One feet on this side, one foot on that side. He was all in. He believed in God means he implemented all of God's commandments in his life. If you want to see great things happening in your life, believe in God. Do as the word of God says. Implement it in your life. Don't be a Christian who just comes here on a Sunday and then you say, thank you for that excellent message. You remember it for a few hours, but by tomorrow it's all forgotten and no more implementation. No. If you want to see God's blessings in your life, believe in him. It means implement it in your life. Keep an open channel to God. Open the windows. Look towards God. Make sure that your life 
You have clean hands. They, with a fine tooth comb, they went through every aspect of Daniel's life. And they found no fault. If you also can commit your life to God in such a way, you will see great things happening in your life. Trust me, there are brothers and sisters probably who have been here and gone, those who are here today, those who are in different parts of the world who can all testify that they have tried it that way. Believing in God and implementing the word of God in our lives. If you do that, you will see great things happening in your life. Just like what happened to Daniel. I apologize, I'll finish a few minutes early because uh, I had a sore throat that I picked up yesterday and so it's becoming more difficult to talk. I had a few more lessons, but we'll call it a day there. Brother Dean, would you close in prayer, please? Thank you.